This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, A.J. Kirstetta, and today I'm joined by Professor John Graby, Director of the Warren B. Rubin Center for Justice, Leadership, and Public Service. Learn more about the center at law.unh.edu slash Rudman. So in the wake of the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, questions surrounding qualified immunity for police officers uh, were really raised extensively. Um, And you recently had a discussion uh, with the New Hampshire Bar of News on the topic, which I'll link to at law.unh.edu slash podcast. It was uh, published in uh, New Hampshire Business Review. Um, Start off with what is the concept of qualified immunity and how does it apply to uh, people who work with the government? Okay, so qualified immunity is a defense that can be raised by somebody who works for government when sued uh, for allegedly violating, in particular, constitutional rights. Um, It's a doctrine that was judicially created in the 1960s, shortly after a Supreme Court case reinterpreted an important civil rights statute. Um, They call it 1983. It's because it's 42 U.S.C. Section 1983. Um, But the Supreme Court interpreted 1983 in such a way as to permit more lawsuits to be brought against the individuals who work for government who are involved in alleged constitutional violations. Uh, The Supreme Court uh, early on uh, treated the defense as a good faith defense, basically meant if subjectively you were unaware that what you were doing was a constitutional violation that would free you from potential liability. Um, In the early uh, 1980s, though, the Supreme Court changed the doctrine away from being a subjective good faith defense to an objective defense. And so the way in which the qualified immunity doctrine is formulated in legal terms, um, it says that a state or local official who participates in violating your constitutional rights can only be sued and held liable if, first of all, the violation of the Constitution was clear under clearly established law, established by the Supreme Court or perhaps by the Federal Court of Appeals in one's own area. That's actually still up in the air. And then secondly, whether the action in question was objectively unreasonable. It doesn't matter whether they subjectively understood that they were violating the Constitution. If objectively it was not unreasonable, they are free not only from paying damages liability, but they're free from suit. And so the case has to be dismissed. What are some examples of some constitutional violations that uh, center around cases of this nature? Well, under the Fourth Amendment, um, one can bring a claim for excessive force against a government official who, you know, roughs you up, for example, mm-hmm. during the course of an arrest. Um, prison uh, prisoners can bring claims against prison guards under the Eighth Amendment for, for you know, inflicting cruel and unusual punishment against them. Um, those are contexts. So, you know, where there's contexts involving the application of force, often by the police or in the prison context, those give rise to lots of cases uh, where qualified immunity immediately becomes an issue. I should say, too, I should share, too, that qualified immunity is an issue because uh, the Supreme Court has interpreted the doctrine of sovereign immunity as precluding you from actually suing the state uh, or actually I, 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 I have to actually, yeah, you, you, but as a practical matter, you can't sue the state 
Um, you can rarely sue a town. Mm -hmm. You can almost never sue the federal government for a violation of your constitutional rights. And so the way around that under this sort of esoteric federal courts doctrine is to sue the individual involved because the individual involved is not the government. Which is why we have lawsuits against governors and such for larger cases. Well, yeah, and, and oh, it, it gets super complicated. Yeah. Like it depends if you're seeking an injunction versus <laughs> money damages. So this is a, this is a doctrine that only applies when you're suing a government actor okay. in their individual capacity and you're seeking money from them for something that's happened in the past. It's different if you're seeking an injunction for something that's unconstitutional and ongoing. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly convoluted. Um, it does apply to suits against federal officials. It applies to suits against state officials. And it applies to suits against you know local officials as well. Um, and the Supreme Court has made it very, very hard to maintain these suits unless the allegations in the complaint track very closely the facts of a Supreme Court case where the Supreme Court said this is a constitutional violation, um, you are very likely to see the case dismissed right at the outset on grounds of qualified immunity. Now, do you personally, as a law professor, think that's the best way that it should be handled? Well, I've written about qualified immunity quite a bit. Um, and I actually do understand the impetus behind it. I mean, I do think being a police officer, being a government official, responding to, you know, evolving and scary circumstances, you need a little bit of room to breathe. I mean, I, I don't think it should be super easy uh, to sue government officials who may make a reasonable but mistaken judgment mm -hmm. at some point. Um, but what I don't like about this doctrine at all is that it's not rooted in any legal text or any law. It's basically a made-up judicial doctrine. I mentioned 1983 before. That's the statute that you use when you sue a state official or a local official for violating your constitutional rights. 42 U.S.C., that's U.S. Code, 1983. There's nothing about qualified immunity in that statute. The, 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 the justices of the Supreme Court simply made up the doctrine and superimposed it on the statute because they said this it's necessary. It's mm -hmm. necessary to keep... Um, uh, from chilling police officers and other public officials from engaging in their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like lawless doctrines. I don't like it when judges say, you know, as a matter of policy, we're going to interpret this statute as not permitting you to do what Congress said you could do when they enacted the statute. Yeah, it's it, that chilling effect really is is un, it has been ignored, I feel like, by many people. It's, or they don't understand the nature of that. Because if you're a police officer, especially, it's just the big reason why this really came to uh, national highlight in the news and such is, is with these, uh, especially with George Floyd, where I believe the, the officer, at least two of the officers, were convicted yes. for, for violating his civil rights. And if... How do you feel like in this situation, uh, the family or something might have brought about lawsuits against the officers if we didn't have these um, this case law? Well, you know, one thing you have to separate out is criminal uh, criminal uh, charges being brought against government mm -hmm. officials, as in the you know the George Floyd George Floyd case, from civil liability. So mm -hmm. qualified immunity is a doctrine that applies only in the civil context, okay. and only again in the context it doesn't. It doesn't apply if you're seeking an injunction from some sort of ongoing constitutional harm. Okay. It only applies if you're seeking money from somebody for something that's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it does, but but it has been very much in the news because the Supreme Court has has so broadened the scope of it 
that it has invited criticism not only from the left, which you would you know typically associate with criticizing doctrines that scale back the availability of judicial relief for civil rights violations, but also for the right from mm-hmm. the right. Okay, so it, you know over the last couple of years there have been a lot of criticism from both libertarian. Uh, constitutional scholars and, you know, the traditional critics of qualified immunity on the left. Um, And people wondered, you know, is the Supreme Court going to perhaps be responsive? Are they going to perhaps take note of the fact that across the spectrum uh, there are complaints and concerns about the scope and breadth of the qualified immunity doctrine? So far, the answer appears to be no, that Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court seems to be uninterested in rolling back qualified immunity. But qualified immunity has then gone to the forefront because there have been lots and lots of cases with really egregious facts where courts have said, sorry, the law wasn't clearly established on, you know, uh, in a very, very factually similar circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the court has made clear you don't need exactly the same facts, but um, if it's an unprecedented situation, you know, or it's not a, it's not a situation that has you know, where the, where the factual scenario has made its way to the Supreme Court, you are extra, you and you are a government official, you are extraordinarily likely uh, to be um, entitled to qualified immunity. And again, it, it keeps the whole lawsuit from happening because the idea is that it, it would chill a police officer, not only from a police officer, for example, not mm-hmm. only from having to pay damages, you know, that that is not something that would chill. But you don't want police officers to be thinking, oh, I'm going to get sued, right. you know, when they're making a decision about what to do in, in preserving public safety. Which would, I imagine, lead police unions to kind of support a lot of existing qualified immunity. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people say the whole idea, it's, that it's all silly because, you know, the individual officers are not paying these damages awards for the most part. It's good. It's these. There's insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, the towns, you know, and the cities uh, take out insurance policies that that cover uh, their their state officials, and that you know some of the immunity doctrines that don't allow you to sue the government. Um, are really um, kind of silly. They 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 lead to legal fictions and these formalisms, where at the end of the day. Um, what's happening just doesn't seem to be rooted in law. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings disrespect to the law. Yeah, and I mean, is there a reason why, especially in light of um, George Floyd and all this that we've been talking about, why it hasn't been brought up at the legislature and made it as far along as we might have expected? Well, it, it actually has. There have been calls and there have been bills introduced in Congress um, to, you know, to, to reduce the scope of the qualified immunity defense. And Congress clearly could do it because— mm-hmm. Again, 42 U.S.C. 1983, that's the, that's the statute that allows you to sue state officials or local officials. There is no, by the way, there is no statute that allows you to sue federal officials <laughs> in parallel context. So uh, if, you are, if, you're, if your constitutional rights are violated by federal officials, you're pretty much out of luck. There are a couple of little doctrinal areas where the court has said you can bring lawsuits, but the court is, this court is really rolling that back. Yeah. So, but in any event, Congress could go in and amend 1983. Um, to say, you know, here's the, here, there is a qualified immunity defense of some sort, but here's the scope of it and could make it a little bit less than it is. There have been calls to do it, but, um, and, and the president, Joe Biden, actually ran, you know, ran for office calling for right. a reform of qualified immunity. Hasn't happened yet. I mean, certainly other stuff going on. Now, say John Graby, professor, very knowledgeable person on this subject, is able to write some of the reforms that were going to happen. Mm-hmm. What, are, what do you feel like should be the focus that legislatures look at? Well, I mean, I think the first thing would be to say, to, to be, I, I think 1983 ought to be reinterpreted, mm-hmm. uh, to, cr- to say that a state is 
uh, uh, that a state can be sued under the statute and to just sort of avoid all these fictions of suing individuals. I think, you know, I think that, um, again, um, hewing closer to the actual text of the statute is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it would bring it would bring lawfulness and legality into an area that's really, again, been been characterized by ju- by judicial lawmaking. So I think, you know, in other contexts, if if you know if you get into an accident with a FedEx driver, you're suing FedEx. Right. You know? That's, that's yeah. been the big yeah. thing that's really brought up in my mind is yeah. the difference between a state and a corporation or a municipality and a corporation. Corporations don't have that same protection. No, no. And it's just it's it's this old doctrine of mm-hmm. sovereign immunity. And and you know, and in, there's another wrinkle too that you know there's a there's a statutory interpretation case that says states are not persons subject to suit. Under 1983, whereas cities or towns are, that makes no sense <laughs> oh at all God. either. It's the whole thing is just riddled with um, inconsistencies right. like that. Yeah. So I mean, that's what I would like see to see cleaned up. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know what the proper scope of the qualified immunity defense should be. I mean, it's something that I've thought about. I do think it's too broad right mm-hmm. now. I think there are sort of you know it when you see it and. No reasonable person could think that what he or she or they were doing in some circumstances is consistent with the Constitution, and that ought to be enough. Um, you know, but um, but first and foremost, doctrinally, the area needs to be cleaned up. How do you balance balance it with the the protections that originally was supposed to enable for police officers and such to do their jobs and not be fearful that they're going to get sued. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, if if they're not the ones being sued, um, that reduces that chilling effect. I mm-hmm. mean, sure, you know, you don't want your employer to be sued because of something <laughs> that you did either, but it's it's different when it's your name on the line right. and, and you're the one who has to go hire the lawyer and pay the damages award, even if there is insurance uh, behind it. I mean, I, I think, again, you know, I, I've been arguing all year that what the New Hampshire legislature did in putting a target on the back of teachers uh, is really terrible. I think public officials need uh, to be able to perform their jobs without fear of being sued. And I think there needs to be room to breathe. And I think that, you know, something like the qualified immunity defense, therefore, has a proper role to play uh, in the area where, you know, in, in, in situations where somebody alleges that their constitutional rights have been violated. Um, but you know, I keep coming back to the same point. It's just, it's, it's, it's pretty lawless as administered right now. Um, and the court has really expanded the scope of immunity. And so there are lots and lots of situations where, you know, constitutional violations uh, are going unremedied. Thank you so much, Professor John Gravy, director of the Warren B. Rudman Center for Justice, Leadership, and Public Service. Learn more about them at law.unh.edu slash Rudman. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help share word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.